Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. My guest is Lisa Fa'alafi, the fierce femme leader of the multi-award winning collective Global First Nations Women Hot Brown Honey, which will be returning to the Sydney Opera House after eight years in May. That's May 4th to the 13th as part of its unwrapped season. And it dances the line between theatrical and social activism, mashing up hip hop, dance, cabaret, circus, poetry and comedy, spinning tradition on its head and challenging boundaries and embracing resilience. Lisa is a director, performance maker, choreographer and designer known for pushing cultural and gender boundaries. Her work is visually stunning, highly entertaining, conceptual, political and satirical at heart and is the co-creator, writer, director, designer, choreographer and performer of Hot Brown Honey, which has received numerous awards including a Helpman Sydney Theatre Award, Green Room Award, Adelaide and Perth and Fringe Awards as well as Overseas Awards. Please welcome Lisa Fa'alafi. Hi. <laughs> wow, that, was, that, that makes me feel very chuffed. Thanks for that intro. <laughs> well, you deserve it um, for all the work you've been doing. So before we get into this show and this return to the Opera House, when did you start performing? Was it in your family or was it something that you went out on your own? Yeah, I have a Samoan background, so we sort of grew grew up, you know, dancing and learning all the Pacific Island dances. Um, And I guess that's where my storytelling sort of starts is just from is from that cultural um, performance. And, you know, we used to we we were a collective. We performed over town when we were in high school. So that's where it began. And then I had I was lucky enough to have some wonderful um, dance and theatre teachers in high school that, you know, were able to sort of like just believe in me enough for for me to take it seriously as a uh, as a career moving forward. Um, But I did feel like that once I got on my trip of storytelling I was just so drawn to so many other art forms that you know I began to branch out of um you you know like cultural dance and uh, hip-hop and old school you know salt pepper back in the day and and just like you know grew it from there did a theater degree and then you know I've been making it up ever since (laughs) right so you did hip-hop like when did this did you study you went you just said that you studied a theater degree but you have all this sort of dance like what is the line between cultural dance and then the development of that and story within that as well well I think with a lot of our cultural dance it sort of has moved with the times anyway like small influences um, are always feeding into our dances and you see that when you you know you watch like especially over in New Zealand the amazing Pacifica festivals and everybody like busting out one of our sasas which is like a clapping dance and there's little bits of hip-hop in there and you know so it's it's forever morphing and culture does that and I think like for me it was more yeah. about why well, I became I you know in my early 20s I was meeting circus artists and I, I, I went to QUT and did a theatre degree so I was meeting theatre artists and so it just really opened my mind to the, the forms in which you can tell stories. So I still wanted to tell my stories as a Pacifica, like Australian, like living on stolen land, my story. But um, I was able to sort of go, wow, I can use all of these other tools to do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you've got like a collective, it's a collective of women, First Nations women. What what kind of cultural differences or I guess also similarities are, are within the group? Yeah, well, I think like, um, well, all of us are living in Australia, like I said, on stolen land. And, you know, and we've had multiple honeys go through the company in our eight years. Uh, so drawing from many different cultural backgrounds, like a lot of Pacific nations and like First Nations here and Torres Strait Islander. Um, and also like what the, what our stories meant, like for us living here on this land and like being in deep conversation with our sisters who this is their land. Um, so it's, yeah, I think that, I think we had lots of similarities on how it feels to move through the world. Um, and, and, um, also this, you know, like this sort of morphing of, of what culture means when you're not living in your, on your land. And so there's just like, there was just so many, and also the, you know, the shit stuff that happens to us and the, the you know microaggressions yeah. and stereotypes and racism and you know those sort of things we could like could share and heal from so like I feel like our collective is more about taking you know some of the hardships and issues that we have as um, world first nations women and and finding some way to celebrate through that how amazing we are you know and lift mm, each other up so totally. you know sort of that's where it stemmed from yeah Okay, so this work, the remix, is there a kind of overarching story that you are telling through this particular show? I guess it sort of is, you know, it is like because it's um, a mixture, like people like to put us in the cabaret box, but it's we, we, we definitely are more pu- pushing the boundaries of, of, of what that is, so more theatre and, you know, mm. um, storyline in a sense so we have this giant hive you know she lights up she tells stories she has a voice um by the amazing rihanna uh oh no that's not um from nancy bamagar auntie she plays the voice of the hive who's essentially mother earth and she's talking to busty beats who is um sort of like the mc of the whole event um who's been sent down by the mother to sort of wake everybody up um and she is really the storyteller in the way that she's fierce and hard and, you know, like will tell you off if she, if she needs to, but also, you know, it's using rap and emceeing and um, sort of like social commentary is embodied by Busty Beats who sits at the top of the hive, you know, right up three metres high. She's sort of looking down at the honeys, giving, telling their stories and their individual journeys through, yeah, like we nice. said, circus and poetry and beatboxing and, and dance and, you know. Yeah, so we're sort of okay. framing it like that. I see. So how do you work together? Like, do you choose a theme? And, like, how do you create work as a team? Well, um, this, this show is written by Busty and myself, but with with, it, with the people in mind that we were going to work with. So we we went through, like, you know, and it's like I said, there's lots of things that uh, unify us. Uh, there are similarities between our cultures and there are, you know, there are similarities in our experiences and also differences, but... So we were able to write um, like sort of like a map of what the show could be and what we thought people's skills leaned into for the storytelling. Um, and then we pitched that to our people and work on building that. That's sort of how it, you know, it began. Um, and we still use that, that sort of framework is still there. Even in the remix, there are some of bits that like people who, we have a lot of people who come back and see us. They, you know, some people say it's like coming to, 
church. We think that's quite funny. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's a gathering point for us to uh, just celebrate together. Um, yeah, so like just, oh, I've lost my train of thought now, but yeah, like just bringing us all together in that moment to share time with the audience as well. Yeah. And there is something about that. I think, you know, um, we all have these sort of individual stories of whatever we've experienced, but oh, there's something about that kind of community feeling of sharing and realizing. And I guess it's these stories that haven't been told for so long, right? Yeah. yeah. And each of our stories are so like unique to us as well, but that, but people see themselves in us too. So, yeah. you know, that's what I love about us all on stage. We're all very different people, but, and, and so there's always somebody who's like, wants, who's, who comes to me and says, oh my gosh, I, I've, you, you told my story or they'll go to hope and they'll be like, I can totally identify with you. And, um, but also that space sometimes I think, um, we don't get to see ourselves in this celebratory fierce, powerful, like, like unapologetic way. Um, and I think like for our women of all, like, you know, brown, black, white, like that there's, there's a in power in that. Um, and, and there's something about that shared time in the theater. Like, you know, we always say it's like, oh, it's only a 75 minute show. Like, you know, how much change can it actually have? But like, uh, 75 minutes where you feel you know like where you up off your seat and you feel this feeling like we hope there could be some change in people or I mean like we've had lots of people come to say I hadn't really thought of it that way thank you for you know like sort of nicely pulling apart like what privilege is and and also that that conversation has changed a bit since we wrote the show many years ago but like so our conversations are changing with our audience too so yeah it's just something and I think like we often call ourselves energy workers in a way, like because we, we're just crafting the audience to feel and to build this um, sort of frenzied <laughs> excitement by the end where we're just dancing together. Like how good is that if we could dance together yeah. and just celebrate the moment? So, yeah, um, yeah we quite like that now. We're like, are we performers or are we energy workers? <laughs> I love it. So is it like... I mean, are there story? Is there trauma in the story? Is it sort of, you know, and then taking that and I don't, you know, liberating yourself from that? Like, maybe you could tell me a, a personal story, like a particular story. I mean, rather than generally, like for you. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, in the show, we definitely, we, you know, like we we have a a section that's actually about domestic violence and um and it's portrayed through an incredible rope routine by. Mayumuto, our aerialist, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it, but it has a powerful sort of take back from that and also has us joining her at the end that maybe we don't have to be alone in this. So, you know, we're trying to find ways to, like, deliver these more, like, you know, like, be able to discuss this trauma, but also find how we rise from that together. And so, like, you know, it's, it's amazing, too, how a physical language can, like, have a real impact on people. So, like, you know, we don't we also don't want to, you know, have create art that we feel like is a bit like trauma, you know, porn for our people. Like we actually but, yeah. but we do know it's important to talk about it because it's happening to so many of us. So we've tried to find ways and we and we actually move like we lift our audience out of that really quickly. So we've, we've, we've been really sort of. Um, strategic about how we look at some of these heavier things and then shift our audience out of it so you know you can process um 
That's why we leave time also after the show to talk to people, um, you know, a good 45 mm. minutes where we can debrief or, you know, have photos or, or, you know, people can give us the love or also just go, have a cry. You know, it, we've had all of those responses um, from that, you know, and each of us, I think, I think that even though the trauma parts might be someone solo or whatever, we have all felt some of those things. So, you know, it's just like we all feed into... Um, the debrief of that or the or the making of that yeah mm-hmm. so and obviously there's a lot of music because you got dance and you got rap and all of this how do you work in that how do you create the music or the sound or the the world well busty beats who's my co-writer and the musical director of this show um yeah so we work closely together like i'm you know i grew up dancing so and that's primarily i guess how i tell stories but um yeah, so we work closely together, but she's the genius of the music. And there's, you know, each one of our songs are so heavily referenced, you know, like even choosing, um, like we've got Poison by Biv DeVoe at the top of the show, which is, you know, talking about women being poison. And then it switches over to um, Sherea, I think it is, who is a Missy Elliott um, prodigy, where she re- she takes that song back, you know, and she's like, no, 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 who's poison? You're poison. Um, so, you know, just trying to like flip those stereotypes and use the music that we grew up with, with, you know, a lot of it is, um, has, was from America for people like, like Busty and myself, um, you know, we're closer to 50 than 20 anymore, but, um, yeah, just so like, you know, that was where the only place we could see people that even resembled us was through hip hop music that was coming over from the States. So, you know, there's a lot of hip hop influence, um, but also a lot of, um, you know, original material that we've written together yeah, um, as well. Yeah. So you said that, you know, even looking at this now and the conversations sort of changing culturally, how has it changed? How have you recognised change in, I suppose, a greater society um, over the time you've been performing? Yeah, well, well, when we first started, I'm not, and we were touring around Australia a fair bit, um, we had a very mixed reaction from, especially from our Anglo um, audience members. Um, maybe we're not ready for those conversations around privilege, around like, you know, you know, we were a little bit shocked at first. We were like, how could everyone be upset about us celebrating ourselves? But, you know, like there's one act in there where we were sort of taking the piss out of like, you know, um, tourists going to Bali, you know, um, being disrespectful, uh, you know, like, and we did in the silliest way, like with a hula hoop act and it was, you know, um, lots of fake braiding and, you know, jungle juice and, you know, so it was really funny, but some, you know, people were like taking it, taking it back. Like, we're not all like that. We're like, we're not saying we're all like that. We're saying this is, this is part of the conversation, right? Um, and I think since then of having some audiences, like depending on where we played, like clam up, close up, I can f- you can feel them from stage, like closing their, their arms, you know, there's a presence of, I'm not sure about this or, you know, and because there's one other act also where our First Nations um, person, whoever it is at the time would like sort of strip away the Australian flag. Like, you know, it's a costume made up of Australian flags, very, um, you know, uh, what do you call it, old school uh, style. And, yeah, and so she'd pull off that as part of it. And then that was about, and part of it was like, you know, I mean, we all wear masks now, but we did it back then when we designed it. Like, you know, being able to not be heard as a First Nations person. And people were like, oh, how dare you, 
you know, do that to the flag. And we're like, it's a cush, you know, it's, it's a metaphor, you know. So, but I think since then, since we've had, you know, we've had so many things like Me Too and Black Lives Matter and Time's Up and a lot of the things that we address in our show that um, we're getting less of that because I think people have this, some, it's filtering more into mainstream society, a, a base level understanding of what, we were, what we're talking about. And so I be, yeah. feel a bit more open to taking that in. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. We played in Melbourne uh, as our return to the stage after COVID. Um, yeah, and it was just, it just felt different. Yeah, it just mm. felt lighter. It felt like we, when we're overseas, we're received with, so with, with with a bit more openness, but maybe that's because they think, oh, it's not us, it's it's them in Australia, potentially, you know. Yeah, but, um, right. yeah, I feel like I'm looking forward to playing more now and seeing how that feels. Sounds like people are a little, a little bit more self-reflective um, <laughs> than they used to be. You said that the energy, you can feel it when there's clamming up and, and also this sort of energy workers that you kind of um, potentially are. How do you work? Like, I mean, obviously you can feel the audience, like you said. What do you do if they clam up? Like how, as a group, do you work with that? Um, it can be hard sometimes, you know, like sometimes we don't want to give that time back to that audience outside to debrief, for instance, you yeah. know, like we might feel, or we might feel unsafe to do that, um, mm. which has happened a couple of times over the years. Um, yeah. but, or, but other ways we've sort of done that is like, um, you know, we were playing a number of shows in a certain place and, um, we felt that often ongoing. So we uh, decided that when we saw any brown faces that walked in, we would ask them to sit in the front row so that we felt like we had this sort of support, right, looking, the closest people that we could see were the people that could give us the energy we needed to do the show. Um, so that's something that we try to, you know, as a mechanism to, to be able to do the art that we do sometimes. So this is a return of a show that you've done previously, which is, yeah, fun to, to jump back in. Have you got plans to write a new show considering the new times we're in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this show is, it does have all the wonderful, lots of wonderful parts from the last show, but we call it the remix because there are a lot of new elements in the show. Um, and new cast members as well that we're exposing our lovely audience to. Uh, but, yeah, we definitely want to write a new show. It's it's hard because it's like the show still resonates so brilliantly that yeah. it's like – and also shows are so – it's such an investment. It's such an investment of heart, time, energy. We're like – and people still want to see our show around the world. So that's partly why we haven't made a new show and just, we're you know, we've got mothers yeah. and aunties and just life. Um, but yeah, we yeah. definitely love to, you know, we've, we've been like, we should have a Netflix series, like, you know, or a cartoon <laughs> of superheroes or, you know, there's so many ideas. It's like literally, um, resources and time, but, um, yeah, yeah. we will, for, we will forever make work like this. So it will not be the end yeah. for, you know, hot brown honey in that way. Yeah. It's just like, we just do what we do. We do it for community. We do it on community timelines essentially, but mm. hopefully soon. Yeah. And evolves as well. I like that idea that it is the same kind of, you know, there's many bees in a in a hive of, you know, many stories and you haven't told them all yet maybe. <laughs> so, And that changes over time. We do have one dream and we've been working, we've been trying to work towards it for a while. It's this massive 
show called Hot Brown Honey, The Revolution, because we've been doing these projects overseas called Hive City Legacy, which is essentially creating like other sort of Hot Brown Honey-esque shows. We did one in London at the Roundhouse in 2018, I think it was, and then one again in uh, just last year uh, in Dublin for Dublin Fringe. And so it's essentially like gathering these like wonderful collectives of femme-fronted uh, POCs and creating a work that yeah. is from the ethos of how we create work. So ideally, one day, it'll be all the hives come together to do this Hot Round Honey, the revolution, where you get to see all of us together, you know. That's the dream. Fabulous. It sounds fabulous. But also, you said when, you know, you have toured overseas, this sort of like, oh, it's just them in Australia. So you have this, like, is there that sense that some of the particular stories are specific? Yeah, definitely. But then also I think I'm more coming from, um, you know, when we're, we're looking at the, you know, the, the uh, bad tourists and things like that, sometimes they put it to, oh, that's how Australian acts. But um, no, I think like, yeah. I think the show oddly reads really well. Like we took it through Sweden and Norway. We were like, I don't know how this is going to go, you know, but they were like so great. And they were like, this is the conversations we need to have more of, um, you know, really thankful for the dialogue that it was sparking. Um so, yeah, I think, and, and like building these other hives, um, they, you know, they're having the same, they're having the same issues as we are. And we sort of just were giving them the, the creative space to unpack that for themselves in a way that how we do it, which is through this comedy, like mix of art forms, you know, this sort of cathartic, mm. like you said, energy healing sort of work, um, which has been, yeah, it's like they're big, they're big projects, but they have been incredible to do. Terrific. Lisa Farlaffy, thank you so much for joining me. It sounds just terrific. I can't wait. <laughs> thank you, Regina. Yeah, come along, everybody. <laughs> well, that was Lisa Farlaffy from Hot Brown Honey, which is playing at the Opera House from the 4th to the 13th of May. The remix. Such fun. 